The reading is from St. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Let us be attentive. Brethren, working together with him, then we entreat you not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time I have listened to you and helped you on the day of salvation. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found within our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Through great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, tumults, labors, watching, hunger, by purity, knowledge, forbearance, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God. With the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, in honor and dishonor, in ill repute and good repute, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. Peace be to you, the reader. To your spirit. To Saint Luke, let us be attentive. At that time, Jesus went to a city called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the city, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. And he came and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And he gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. Peace be to you who reads the good tidings. Glory to you. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. How many of you know that this past week we hosted a conference here? It was actually a national conference for the entire Archdiocese. But it even extended beyond that. We had a bishop from Kenya, His Grace Bishop Athanasios, very sweet, soft-spoken man, until you got him focused on something that was passionate to him. Then you heard some power and authority come from him. Now he has 500 churches being served by only 200 priests in a vast geographical area. Can you imagine that? That would be like the 70 parishes of this metropolis being served by about 25 priests. They would never see their families. They would always be out there like itinerant preachers going from post to post, trying to minister to many people and beyond those people that they already know. We had a priest from Romania... But not just any priest from Romania. This priest is the leading expert in his own country on addiction. He is invited all over the world to travel and lecture on how to help people become free from addiction. And he works with his own clergy and laity in wellness. And so I hooked him up with Father Timothy and Father Tom Tsagalakis from uh, Holy Apostles in Seattle. We had people from the Bahamas who we still hope have a home because of the hurricane. We had people from Hawaii and Alaska. Of course, you know Father Vasili. But there were people from every single metropolis in this archdiocese. And I don't even know how many parishes and states were represented. But all told, there were about 160 people here who had an incredibly fruitful experience. And his, our own, His Eminence Metropolitan Yerasimos, came as well and spent uh, two days with us. I want to share with you a couple statistics that came out of that conference. You've heard about the nuns, not monastics. N-O-N-E-S. Those who used to be affiliated with some religious tradition, but now in the 21st century are completely unaffiliated. They have left the church of their forefathers. And they are no longer going anywhere. Over 25% of the American people today are a part of this category of none. They have no more religious affiliation. Of those Americans, less than 20% even believe that religion is important in a human being's life. What's even scarier is that the millennials, those who are between the age of 18 and 30, over 40% of them are unaffiliated. So you can see as our American population gets younger, they become more detached and less people of faith. It doesn't even look like it's improving. 
Because 60% of children who are not raised with a religious affiliation remain unattached when they are adults. Nobody reaches them. Can you imagine? Maybe some of you can. I can't. Can you imagine not believing in God? How would you put life in perspective? How would you cushion the blow of the trauma and the trials and the tribulations and the tests and the suffering that we all face living this life? Where would our hope be if we did not really believe that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead, that He had trampled down death by His death, that He is the life giver, that all that we yearn for and desire as human beings awaits us in the fullness in a time without end. That we will grow and grow from glory to glory forever in Christ who is infinite, who is totally uncreated. We are created in such a way that we are to be like Him and to be in communion with Him. Not just here and not just a little bit but in an ever-increasing way. Furthermore, 80% of the churches in the United States are either plateauing or they are in decline. They're not growing, which corroborates the statistic of the increasing population of those who are no longer affiliated. Think about this statistic. This is the last statistic I will give you. Every single year in the United States, three to 5,000 churches are closing. 3,000 to 5,000 churches every single year in the United States are closing. It is harder to keep a church open than, it's, than it is to keep a restaurant open. I know, that amazed me too. <laughs> now I want you to think about this, because this is the state of our American religious landscape. But think of this, on this street of Walker Road, within a three block area, there are three churches that every single Sunday have full parking lots. Beaverton Foursquare, their, their parking lots are so full they have to have the Sheriff's Department make sure that people can cross the street safely. Holy Trinity Catholic Church, full. St. John the Baptist, over full. Every single Sunday. But I would ask you the question, so what? What difference does it make if this little church or that little building or that bigger building is full. If we do not take the light of Christ and become the salt of the earth and become leaven that goes out and leavens the whole lump, what difference does it make if we come to church on Sunday, if we are not being transfigured, if we are not being changed, and we are not taking that power and that grace and that authority and that life and that love 
out to all of these people that I have just mentioned who are literally starving to death spiritually. I want to read a quote that was also shared at this conference by the late Father Thomas Hopko of Blessed Memory. He says something very strong that I want you to listen very carefully because what he says is absolutely true. But we do not want it to be true about us. If a parish has no awareness and consciousness of being sent by God to speak His words, to do His work, to accomplish His will in this world, then that parish is not an Orthodox Christian parish. I'm going to read it one more time. If a parish community has no awareness and consciousness of actually being sent out by God to speak His words, to do His work, and to accomplish His will in this world, then that parish community is not Orthodox Christian. I want you to look for a moment at today's Gospel. Jesus is coming to a city called Nain. And he is accompanied by his disciples and a great crowd, because great crowds would follow him wherever he went, either to hear him, to just be in his presence, or to see what he was going to do, to show by his sign that the kingdom of heaven was present. So they were following him. And Jesus encounters a funeral procession. The whole coffin is being carried in procession to the place of burial. And he's keenly watching all of the details of this event. And I want you to place yourself there in Nain for a second. But I want you to place yourself as if you are God. As if you are the creator of the world. As if you intimately know this mother. You know this son who's in the, ca the casket. You know all of the family and the friends. And you created them not to die. You created them for life. You placed them in paradise. You created them in such a way that they could live suspended from their mortality, from sin, from shame, from death, by grace, by being in communion with you. You didn't create evil. You didn't bring death into existence. You didn't bring suffering. You never meant for a human being to shed a tear of sorrow. And yet this is what is gripping you and racking you as you watch this mother with her heart torn out because her son has died. Can you imagine how your heart would burn out of love for this family, for this mother, for these people? And so it's in this context that Jesus approaches this funeral procession.
And he says, Do not weep. And then he says, Young man, arise. Now why am I going to such detail? Because I think it's absolutely, critically important that we pause when something like this is read to us. And we realize how deeply God loves us. Each of us. And not just us, but how deeply God loves all of these people out there. The ones living under bridges, the ones that are on tents in public land, the ones that are on the on-ramps at every entrance to the highway, the ones that are at the mansions on top of the West Hills who think that they're living on top of the world but they are spiritually starving and naked and hungry and destitute and don't even know it. God's heart burns for them. But the thing is, is that if what Tom, Father Thomas Hopko says about us is true, then our hearts don't burn for them. We look upon them with indifference. We pass them by. We work with them. They're related to us. They live next to us. We play with them. But our hearts don't burn for them. We care more about ourselves and how we appear and whether we're going to be accepted and our fears of rejection than we care about them. Think about yourself for a second. Why are you here? How did you get here? Each of us has a story. I can tell you my story. For 18 years of my life, I intellectually believed in the Holy Trinity. Intellectually, I believed that Jesus was the Son of God. I called myself a Christian. But where did this intellectual idea ever really intersect with my heart and translate into true action? Was the Lord Jesus Christ and the truth of the gospel ever present in my mind in elementary school, in high school, and in my first years of college, I shouldn't say years, first months of college? The answer is no. There was something very deeply personal missing in my life. Someone had to share the gospel with me. Someone had to love me enough to get out of their comfort zone to get me to see that I too was in a comfort zone. That's true for every one of us. And if it isn't true, then you really have to seriously ask yourself the question, why are you here? If you haven't converted to Christianity, if you haven't made Jesus your Lord and Savior, if He isn't your all in all, then you're not here for the right reasons. And maybe that's why our hearts don't burn like His heart burns for the people around us. Because they need us to tell them the good news or they're never ever going to get out of their comfort zone and have a relationship with Christ that is life 
saving. Now you know that you have family members that fit into that category, that you work with people that fit into that category, that you live next to, and as I said, play with people that are exactly in that category. And maybe you've talked to them, maybe you've shared with them, maybe your life is a difference for them, but maybe not. The epistle reading says, Behold, today is the acceptable day of salvation. Not tomorrow. Not when I learn more. Not when I feel more equipped. It's not someone else's job. Why do you think that we read this epistle reading? It's not so that we can simply look at the apostles 2,000 years ago and say, wow, what a sacrifice they made for the sake of the gospel. Let's honor them like we do when we look at things on the walls in a museum. The church has us read this epistle reading because it wants to tell us that we need to be today in our place, in our context, just like the apostles 2,000 years ago, and to literally be sent out and to be willing to sacrifice everything because of love for our neighbor, just like Christ. That's why we read this epistle reading. Because it's our job today to pass down this saving faith to the generation that comes after us, to the people that God invites to intersect with us. Not one meeting in your life is by chance. Everything is by God's providence, by His will. Why am I passionate today? I should be this passionate every day about these things. But I'm passionate because this is extremely serious business. Our own salvation is at stake. Not just the salvation of the people out there who are the nuns and duns. On the day of judgment, we know from the parable of the last judgment in Matthew 25 that our judgment is based on the criterion of whether we fed those who were hungry, gave drink to those who were thirsty, clothed those who were naked, and visited and ministered to those who were in prison. Since when did God only care about the physical and not about the spiritual? When did He ever care about the spiritual and not the physical? So we might let ourselves off the hook if we do some philanthropic good out there in the community and say, that's enough. But our salvation is dependent on whether we see the spiritual hunger, the spiritual thirst, the spiritual nakedness, the spiritual imprisonment to all of the falsehood of this fallen world. And if we don't see Christ in that neighbor and minister to Him as if He is Jesus Himself, then we're totally missing the boat. And He will say, Be gone, for I never knew you. It is as important for us to be bearers of the good news as it is for those who are on the receiving end. My dear brothers and sisters, today is the day. 
Today is the acceptable time. We cannot count on tomorrow. And as I said in those statistics, we need to be truly salt of the earth, light of the world in this city. It is not by accident that God has placed you in the number one most secular city in the entire United States. You have a job to do to bring light in the darkness. Amen.